This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Santita Jackson Show. It's a joy to be with you today. Just days before, what is it? Just days before the Christmas holiday. I'm so excited about that. Oh, my gosh. And happy Hanukkah to our Jewish brothers and sisters. Sending everybody so much love today. So much love today. Let's talk about President Zelensky and his visit to the United States. What was behind all of that? Mm. Well, uh, the Republicans who are refusing to fund uh, the Russian, really, proxy U.S. and Ukrainian conflict and NATO, even European nations are pushing back. Well... He still needs that money. He still needs those arms. And so he was here yesterday. So how did the speech, how did it impact you? What did you think about it? Talk to me. 773-763-9278. Are you willing to give $44 billion more to Ukraine? Is this our fight? What is the American interest in all of this? Or what are, what are our interests? I want you to call me at 773-763-9278. I mean, you tell me what our buy-in is. You tell me what you think the path forward is, and what do you think is the way to peace? Indeed, in March, President Zelensky said, you know, we need need to have peace negotiations. He, Putin and I need to meet face-to-face. Where are we with that now? Call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT, and I want to hear what your thoughts are with that. And, of course, we'll be talking about the economy with Dr. Max Wolf. Why? Because I came across this very interesting information that shows that Americans, even people who make $100,000 a year or more, are struggling. 63% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, including nearly half, board operator, of six-figure earners. Nearly half of six-figure earners in the United States are living paycheck to paycheck, which means it is... You are living a precarious existence. Trust me, I know, because I've been dealing with, you know, really trying to get my health together, right? And then you look up, and you've got these co-pays, for example, with, even with great insurance. You've got co-pays, 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 you know, and some specialists, you have to pay up front. Oh, yeah, that's why the major driver of bankruptcy in the United States is still health care costs. So we got to talk about that today with Dr. Max Wolf. But first, let's talk about Zelensky, President Zelensky. What did you think? What did you think about his military gear? What did you think about all that? What did you think about just the optics of everything? Not to mention the substance of what he said. He said, this is not charity that I'm asking for. Um, this is your fight, America. And I want to know what America thinks about this being your fight. Okay. Uh, okay, and Pastor, I want to make sure that Pastor Brooks can hear us. And but let me get to these. Let me get to these headlines. Chicago, we're going to have a high of 34 degrees. There will be snow. Minneapolis, St. Paul, 55 degrees below zero. Bless your hearts up there. AM 950 radio. Ooh, partly cloudy. In the NFL, the Jaguars will be playing the Jets tonight. And the NHL, well, the Predators four, Chicago two, and the Wild four, and the Ducks one. And in the NBA, the Mavericks. 
104, the Timberwolves 99, the Bulls 100, 110, and the Hawks 108. We've got this winter storm coming, the timing of which continues to shift, everybody. The winter storm is shifting for the Chicago area as the threat of this dangerous storm, which people are talking about all over the country, is looming. In Chicago specifically, it was it was already snowing in Minneapolis-St. Paul, and now we already see what they say is going to happen in Chicago. It's five below zero, so the snow that fell is nothing but ice, everybody. According to recent forecasts, it appears that the timing of the storm has shifted earlier. So instead of tonight, even this afternoon, the snow is supposed to begin this morning. The winter storm was moved up for some counties to as early as this morning. DeKalb, McHenry, Kane, LaSalle, Kendall, Grundy. Things will, quote, rapidly worsen, according to the Weather Service Bureau, um, heading into Thursday afternoon with snow growing more widespread and becoming stronger. A winter storm watch for Lake, DuPage, Kankakee, Cook, and Will Counties in Illinois. Everybody, please be careful out there and do not move. Do not travel unless you need to do that, everybody. It's threatening holiday travel. Some people are going to have to spend as many as four nights at the airport. Many airports around the country are preparing for that. Please be careful. This major storm system. Ukrainian President Zelensky expressed gratitude for U.S. support in an impassioned address to Congress during his first overseas trip since the Russian invasion almost a year ago. In his speech Wednesday before Congress, President Zelensky called for more U.S. help and stronger sanctions against Moscow, telling lawmakers uh, Ukraine, quote, will never surrender and that their support is not charity. Indeed, they are in line to get $44 billion more in this omnibus bill should it make passage uh, in a matter of days. House Republicans repeat, released a report on Wednesday focused on security failures at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, highlighting well-documented breakdowns in intelligence sharing. Capitol security and coordination between various law enforcement agencies responding to the right. Republicans cast the report as a rebuttal to the bipartisan House Select Committee's investigation into the day's events as they are set to take control of the chamber and put uh, and put forth investigations of their own. Indeed, they're saying that they're going to concentrate among uh, among other uh, persons and issues. Hunter Biden, we'll see where all of that goes. Sam, Bank- Sam Bankman-Fried, the disgraced co-founder and former CEO of crypto exchange FTX, is expected to be arraigned in the United States after being extradited from the Bahamas on Wednesday night. He faces eight counts of fraud and conspiracy following an indictment by federal prosecutors. Parts of China have been hit hard by rising COVID-19 rates, and they've resorted to rationing the amount of medicine for sale down to the pill as the country faces a huge wave of infections. Local versions of Tylenol and Advil, some of the most common drugs used to alleviate the flu, are nearly impossible to get at drugstores across China, fueling anger and concern. The study shows that the Medicaid expansion rejected by GOP increased cancer survival in other states. Wow. Everybody, those are just some of the headlines on the Santita Jackson Show. Pastor Darius Brooks, it's good to hear your voice. Can you hear me now? I can hear you wonderfully. Okay, wonderfully. you were throwing me off while I was trying to do those headlines, but I'm glad that we have all of this worked out. You are giving away food very quickly. When can we get this food? People really, really need to eat. Santita, uh, every Tuesday from 5 to 7, 
at Great Central Church, 10216 South Kitchener Street, Westchester, Illinois. We were we did over 600 families last Tuesday. Grace Central Church, 10216 South Kitchener Street, Westchester, Illinois. Call 708-344-5020. 708-344-5020. You also can go to gracecentral.net. Gracecentral.net. And on Wednesdays, we do the seniors from 12 till 2. If you know anybody in need of food, please, please call us. Um, we, we have them around four blocks on last Tuesday. Mm, okay. Pastor, okay. Oh, Pastor Brooks, well, you know what? Uh, because of this snowstorm, Reverend Jackson has been going to the Cook County Jail for more than 50 years to, have, to conduct a, a Christmas service. He's not going to do it this week, but he is going to make that up, everybody. So, um, because we just don't know where the weather is going to go, we don't know what's going to happen. But we um, we want you to know that we're praying for our brothers and sisters who are incarcerated, and we're praying for those who are in need of food. Some people are giving away food. <coughs> Excuse me for Christmas. Everybody, please reach out. Reach out to Rainbow Push. Reach out to Grace Central Church. Reach out to your churches. Reach out to homeless shelters. You should be able to eat uh, through this holiday season. You ought to be able to eat every day. So, Pastor Brooks, what is the good news? Santita, and when you say this, I was at uh, the City Hall today, and they was blessing some trees. And the trees that they have, Santita, they were putting loved ones on the trees have passed away. It was such an amazing, mm. blessed opportunity. Uh, but, Santita, when you say the good news, I like for people to understand God's word, direction, is good news. But it also tell us what to do, not just with good paychecks. And, and I got a car, and I'm healthy, and I got clothes, and I got money. People of God, God is not good. He's God. But when you keep him God, he'll keep you good no matter what happens. If I had to use for thought today, Hebrews 4 and 15 says, We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. And Santita, if I wanted to use for thought today, uh, I want to use a given opportunity, a given opportunity. And just to highlight on a couple of things uh, so we can get through this Christmas season. But Santita, first of all, I want to explain Dan. Dan is not, this is why I like rightly dividing the word of God so people can make sense out of the Bible and God and not look at it like a man or somebody's story. Sin is the position of evil. It's not what someone does to us. It's really what we do to ourselves without proper direction. It's not the sin or the humanness of the things we do. Sin is evil. And if you turn evil around, it spells live. If you turn live around, it spells evil. And I share with Grace Central and those under my voice today, whenever things are being done to us that we allow, even the things we do to ourselves, 
it's evil, it's not good, it's not healthy. And I explain sin so people won't think it's something that, you know, we, no one's perfect. It has nothing to do with that. It's kind of sort of like, if you know four pops is going to hurt you, you could drink four pops if you want to, but that hurting you is what God calls sin. Or you said something today, people be careful. Don't just go out and if you don't have to, St. Peter, if you go out there and, oh, I got this, and something happens to you knowing that your conscience and your mind is sharing with you, there's danger there possibly. Sin says do that anyway. Sin goes against the direction of God for an individual. Not a criticism, just an observation. We're not talking about sin. We're talking about sin that's evil. And when we get into things and do things that we don't protect ourselves, that's what God God calls sin. I said, see, sin has never been the problem with God. He just didn't want us to deal with the wages of it. (laughs) Watch this. So he says, you don't you're not dealing with something that I have not been through. I saved folk, and they told him to crucify me anyway. I know what you've been through. I family members, mother. He told his mother, you're not my mother. My, my family, those who do the will of my father. So people of God, a given opportunity is whatever's going on with you, if you cannot really do it, it's a case for God. And his divine way, doesn't matter what's happening, is release it and let it go. i got to close with this because I helped them, and prayerfully, this will help some people on here, too. When I left the city hall yesterday because they asked me to come bless two trees, the names that was on the trees I was sharing with the people, you guys, when one dies, they go back to God. And I had to share this with them so they'll know. And, and this is a release for those on here who could be released for these holidays. Good news. I say when God, when people die, they go back to God. Watch this, you okay. guys. When they go back to God, they're resting. And when we let them rest, because we're going to see them again, we literally let them rest. But Santita, I told them, you ever went to sleep, and when you woke up, somebody disturbed you from your sleep, and they was like, yeah, it was the worst. I said, that's the natural watch this and I'm closing. In the spiritual realm, I told them the world's definition is R-I-P, rest in peace. Then Peter, God's definition of death is and they shall rest from their labor. So if you're pulling on somebody who has passed away, not a criticism, just an observation, you're not letting them rest. Mm. Yeah, but if, Amen yeah, to but that. if you let if you let them rest and say, I'll see you in the morning. You could release this and not being stressed out about something that's God's will. And now you can focus on some things you need to do because then everybody's going to die. But what we need to do right now in this 2022 is release these pressures that only God can do. And he says, I can feel you, but give me that for real. And let me do this so I can show you how to get direction. Pastor... Darius Brooks, everybody. That's right. Your will is what's best for me. That is what you're saying. That brilliant song that you've written, how anointed. Indeed, Grace Central Church in Westchester, Illinois. Please reach out to them if you are in need. They do God's work at that church. They do God's work at that church. I love you, Pastor Darius Brooks. And Merry Christmas to you and Deborah and Dasha. I love you so much. I love you. I love you. And I love Dr. Shanina Knighton, who's with us today. So excited to have her. I love her voice. 
Isn't she fabulous? She's fabulous. Indeed, nurse, scientist, researcher, uh, infection preventionist, Ph.D., college lecturer. She just does not stop. Executive director of the Association for Professionals in Infection and Control uh, and Epidemiology's IPC Research Practice and Innovation Center. Going into the holidays, some people being stuck in the airport, Pastor, uh, for four days, Dr. Knighton. What are they supposed to do? Are you supposed to wear a mask for four days? Yes, I'm telling you, I would. Um, it's actually been crazy, Santita, because, like, um, so, you know, we in the snow belt, so I'm in Cleveland, and we're also about to get that storm coming in, too. And so it was imperative that I got out of Texas <laughs> as soon as possible. <laughs> So I can make sure that I was home for the holidays because people are going to be stuck. And I'm going to tell you, the airports have been crowded, and I've still been keeping up my same exact practices, meaning that when I went through TSA yesterday and the lady had my ID, the most ironic thing is, like, I am a people watcher in general. So I watched her, and I felt so bad, right? So she didn't have gloves on, but she was messing with her nose. Like her nose was running or something. But she was literally taking everybody's ID and taking a card. So I already, how I told you before, I have like single-use hand sanitizer packets. And when I say packets, they are the packets of wipes. So I had the wipe right there in my hand. I had already like opened it up so that way I didn't slow anybody down. I put my phone up so I made sure I had no distractions. And as soon as like I went ahead, showed my I showed my ticket first, put my phone up, handed her the ID and made sure I had that wipe in my other hand. So as soon as she handed it back to me, I literally cleaned my ID off thoroughly. And then clean my hands and put my card up because I don't want to take those respiratory droplets home because I'm like, yeah, I might make it home, but it looks like I'm going to make it home sick if I don't do these practices. I was very selective in regards to when I put masks on. So if people may not want to wear masks the whole time and that's up to them. But if I'm going through a crowded area where I know we're all in line, we got to take, you know, belongings off potentially. Um, you got to put your stuff up on the counter. You're standing around a whole bunch of people. So I typically put my stuff up on the counter, but I don't just sit it up and then slide it down where everybody else slide it. I just put it up there as close as possible when I know it's getting ready to go up under the x-ray. Then, once I'm done with that, when I'm actually walking through the airport, there are other people at times waiting on flights. And sometimes that means that it's overcrowded in certain areas down the hall. And if it's overcrowded where it's traffic going on both areas, that's a concentration of people. That's a concentration of breathing. That's a concentration of potential costs. Even if I didn't have my mask on when I was walking in less concentrated areas, I clean my hands and put my mask right back on when I'm going through those areas. Then, if I got to take some sort of like Skylink or some sort of train in order for me to be able to get to where, like let's say my terminal, if I'm on a bus, if I'm on a train, if I'm on anywhere that's closed in, I have a mask on. And then, as I mentioned before, when I am on a plane, 
when that plane, especially it's not moving, that is recirculated air because there's no air that's um, being exchanged when you are sitting at the uh, airport on a plane. So I am also very conscious of making sure I put my mask on, importantly during those times. But of course, I heard what you said, people are going to be delayed in the airport for four days. So it is the most important time to make sure that you just have hand sanitizer available. And if you don't, make sure you're using the hand washing facilities. And also, most importantly, just being conscious about what it is that you touch. We are again in the season of flu, RSV, COVID, the common cold, anything that you can think of that would be an illness, pneumonia. So you want to make sure that you are doing what it is that you need to do to not catch any of those illnesses, especially because some of the weather is getting ready to be in the single digits. Only way to do that, make sure that you are cleaning your hands, make sure you are conscious about the environment, make sure you are watching the surfaces, and do not assume that they have masks. Because even on the plane yesterday, a lady asked for a mask and she said, oh, we don't give those out anymore. They don't test you anymore. Think about it, everybody. Dr. Shanita Knighton. Hey, Dr. Nina, that is her handle. Check her out on social media. You're going to get the best information. Let's talk about Ukraine coming up on the Santita Jackson Show. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station and AM 950 radio. The voice of progressive Minnesota. Uh, I want you to join us on January 26th, Thursday at noon. Joan Esposito, Patty Vasquez, and Santita Jackson will be moderating the WCPT Chicago Mayoral Candidates Forum. The top-tier candidates have all confirmed it is going to be great, everybody. The candidates have filed. And Chicagoans now, yeah, I know it's just behind the midterms, but this is where we are. It is now your turn to determine who will be the mayor. I can't believe it's been four years since the last election, but we're coming up on that. And we are WCPT. We're all over it, everybody. You'll hear directly from the candidates. We'll be streaming live on Facebook. Uh, We will be at a special venue, uh, and we want to have you there. We want to have you there, and we want your questions, because this is for you, everybody. January 26th, Thursday, you got to be there, everybody. And we're going to be talking about Ukraine. What's going on? $44 billion more dollars. And as the Republicans are pushing back against uh, writing more checks to Ukraine, or maybe writing checks in such huge amounts, well, guess what? President Zelensky came to the United States yesterday and spoke before Congress in a very, very moving, moving, uh, moving ceremony. Just very, very moving. But what did you think about it? Basically, he said, our interests in Americas are the same. Do you see it that way? Call me, 773 763 9278 773 
763-9278. In the meantime, Shapurl celebrations by us, even though she has broken her wrist. She is still hard at work getting this food together. Yes. Ooh, how are you feeling? I'm feeling much better today, Santita. I had a rough couple of days with getting, it's just like getting adjusted to having one on. So, but thank God I have a great crew who has stepped up and stepped in to help me get these orders out for Christmas. So we're finishing up our final orders this weekend. So give us a call at 708-526-4546, 708-526-4546. We're still handling all of your your Christmas as well as also New Year's uh, Eve uh, dinners, as well as also, of course, next year we're ready for you to rock and roll. So call us at 708-526-4546. We look forward to serving you. Thank you so much, Santita. And we cannot wait to get it. (laughs) We love it. We love it. My father wants his banana pudding and some of the greens and the string beans. Yes, ma'am. And the dressing. I got you already covered. (laughs) He wants the dressing. He said, did you you get the dressing? I said, I don't know, but I'm going to tell her. (laughs) I can bring this food to him. And he will be silent and suck on the bone of the chicken. Bless his heart. (laughs) Bless his heart. You know what? We're talking about Ukraine, everybody. A very, very serious matter. We're coming up almost, we're coming up on the year anniversary of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, But what's really going on? What has really been going on over there? Military spending is surging, creating a new boom for arms makers. That is the New York Times headline. Uh, Even in March, uh, what is the path to peace? That was something that President Zelensky said that he was willing to talk face-to-face with Putin. He said that's the only way to stop the war. That was in March. But what about now? What about the $44 billion more that are going to, that are, that's going to Ukraine? I mean, your money. So I want you to tell me what you think about all of this. He said, the money that you're giving me is not charity. It's not And so, you know, I have to bring on a couple of people. We'll have James Carden at the top of the hour joining this tremendous panel, but, of course, Bryce Green from Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting, and Dr. David Gibbs from the University of Arizona. I'm so glad to have you all back with us. Dr. Gibbs, what did you make of yesterday's speech, and what was the point of yesterday's speech? Well, I haven't read the whole thing. I've read uh, parts of it that I found on the web. I didn't listen to it, but... um, you know, obviously, it, it's you know an effort to sort of galvanize Congress uh, to increase spending, uh, which they've done uh, forty-five billion dollars. Now the total is um, officially one hundred and twelve billion. Uh, that's in addition, of course, to European contributions. Um, so this is obviously a lot of money, and uh, you know it's politically at least somewhat divisive in the sense that that is money that will not be spent on domestic programs. Um, and so he was there to sort of galvanize Congress behind that program. You know, he's become a uh, you know a media figure of sorts. Uh, he's uh, somewhat telegenic. He's a former actor, and so you know he's effective in that role. Um, you know, there were there's very little in terms of um, very little hope at this point for a negotiated settlement. Um, you know, any reference to negotiations is pro forma and given in such a way that. It's not seriously intended. I don't think either side at this point has an interest in negotiations. From the Ukrainian standpoint, I think there's a feeling that NATO ultimately will come directly into this war and rescue it. I I think that really is the Ukrainian strategy, not just to get 
NATO aid, which may not be sufficient for them to do what they want to do, uh, but rather to have you know, the United States and NATO send direct forces into Ukraine, uh, something that some U.S. officials, um, or at least uh, former generals like Petraeus, for example, a uh, former CIA director as well, uh, has said is something under consideration, is sending in, uh, um, you know, force, uh, what he called a coalition of the willing of the United States and, and certain NATO countries directly into Ukraine, something that could very, very easily mushroom into general thermonuclear war. Um, from the Russian standpoint, I think that they um, seem to have at least some confidence that their recent mass mobilization of 300,000, possibly by some counts, 380,000 additional troops um, will ultimately bring them a victory on the battlefield. And so I think both sides at this point seem committed to a military victory. I'm seeing very little here to suggest um, any kind of compromise settlement anytime soon. Uh, what that will mean is going to be really a very vicious winter uh, for the people of Ukraine, possibly to some extent for the people of Europe more generally. Um, in terms of the destruction of infrastructure now that is going on in Ukraine, Russia is destroying the uh, infrastructure, including the heating infrastructure. That's going to be very, that's going to be very brutal in terms of its effects. Hmm. What about the military spending? What about this forty-four billion dollars? You alluded to that, or you just mentioned it in passing. This is money. This more than one hundred billion dollars that we've invested in this military conflict in Ukraine. That that's not going to the American people. It's from the American people, but it's not coming back to the American people. What right, are right. America's interests in this conflict? I think the main interest is that the United States, again, it's not just the United States. I think the foreign policy establishment uh, is facing multiple challenges that they see as an existential threat to their way of life, which is global dominance. And the threats are the rise of China, which now, by depending on how you count it, a larger GDP than the United States with a higher growth rate, uh, possibly, you know, eventually translating into Chinese power. Um, as well as, you know, a relative decline of the United States in terms of its economic power. Uh, so that's a source of anxiety. Another source of anxiety is major catastrophic setbacks in the form of uh, Libya, Iraq, and Afghanistan. And I think the final one, the really critical one, was the U.S., uh, very damaging U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, which really was very reminiscent of America's catastrophic departure from Saigon in 1975. Mm. I think that probably was the main, I would see that as a main trigger to what really set the world on the path to war in Ukraine, is the need for the United States to make up for that failure. I really do think a lot of the evidence suggests the United States was trying to really kind of goad Russia into war. That doesn't justify their invasion, clearly, that they, the Russians could have accepted, in my view, the humiliation of backing down and that humiliation is better uh, than invasion, far better. Uh, but nevertheless, I think the United States does seem to have played a role in goading Russia into invading. They avoided every possible off-ramp that would have prevented war, war would have settled it early. And I see this as a real effort by the United States to maintain its global dominance and the advantages to various interest groups uh, especially arms manufacturers that are associated with that global dominance. That is kind of how I see what's playing out here. Hmm. Bryce Green, what say you? I mean, we're seeing this military spending surge. 
according to different reports. Uh, first among them, the New York Times, this is creating a new boom for arms makers. We're seeing the Republicans in the United States, some, but it seems to be a growing uh, sense that America has written a blank check to Ukraine and we shouldn't do that anymore. And the speculation has been that that is part of the reason, a very large driver in President Zelensky's um, risky, you know, personally risky and just politically risky trip to the to the United States, you know, that you now have a Congress that's about to change and your money might change, too. Your thoughts about the speech and your thoughts about that. Right. Well, I think Zelensky has come to America for the exact same reason that um, he would visit soldiers on the front. It's to shore up support. It's to boost morale. Um, Like Dr. Gibbs said, Zelensky is a celebrity figure, not just in Ukraine, where he was an actor, but also in America, where this war has, you know, been one of the most PR intensive wars ever. And you've seen a lot of uh, Ukrainian influence uh, in Washington. Uh, the Ukrainian lobbyists lobbying uh, Congress people, lobbying the executive branch for more support in this war. And it has the effect of boosting the grand narrative that the United States has sort of drawn up for this war. That this war is a battle between democracy and autocracy. And if America wants to save itself, uh, it needs to pour money and weapons into Ukraine. So we can fight Russia there rather than fighting Russians here. Uh, the problem is that the war doesn't seem to have a happy ending. They seem to be under the delusion that one day if we pour enough weapons in, if we escalate the sort of missile systems that we give them, give them higher range rockets, then eventually that'll push the Russians back. But privately in Washington, they even acknowledge this, they've acknowledged this for months and months, is that Putin sees this as a must-win war, and that failure is not an option. And that any sort of escalation on the Ukrainians' part will be met with a similar escalation on the Russian side. And we've already seen that. As Dr. Gibbs said, uh, the Russians have started targeting Ukrainian infrastructure, uh, rolling blackouts and a lack of heating for much of the population. Now, if you've been paying attention to the war, this hasn't been happening for most of most of the invasion. The Russians were actually using uh, well, a lighter hand than what the Americans expected. In fact, uh, it was reported that Washington officials were really baffled by the, uh, the, the lack of shock and awe on the Russians' part. But after increased escalations, the Russians have dug in their heels. They've uh, conscripted hundreds of thousands of soldiers um, that will be ready for a new offensive pretty soon. And so the idea that prolonging the war will bring victory is just fantasy. The only thing prolonging the war will do is bring more death and destruction to the Ukrainians, uh, cause more problems for the Western economies, and continue to escalate the the world towards nuclear confrontation between great powers. This is a very dangerous situation, uh, but Washington people seem hell-bent on continuing down this path. Now, as for the Republican Party and their half-hearted resistance to pouring this money in, uh, 
there have been a few dissenters, and they've all been on the Republican side. The Democrats are almost unanimous in their support for the war. Uh, but the dissenters on the Republican are a very small minority. In fact, mm-hmm. the other day, Mitch McConnell said that pouring money, more money into Ukraine will be his number one priority. Uh, and the Republican Party seems to be still devoted to increasing military spending, increasing the flow of money towards weapons contractors and defense contractors. And all of this seems to be in the service of achieving U- United States' goal of just weakening Russia. They know that Ukraine won't beat Russia, but they know that the longer the war goes on, the more resources Russia will be expending in the region. And this has long been a U.S. goal. A 2019 study uh, from the Pentagon suggested that the best way to unbalance and overextend Russia was to pour weapons into Ukraine. And that report even acknowledged that doing so would likely provoke an invasion, but they recommended doing it anyway. Well, that's exactly what happened, and we're seeing the results of that now. The only question is, how long will it take for the American public to fully turn against this money spigot that we're giving the Ukrainians? Uh, It's harmful to American interests, it's harmful to Ukrainian interests, and it's harmful to global interests. The only way forward is a negotiated settlement. Uh, How is it harmful to America? How how does this harm American interest? How does this harm Ukrainian interest? I mean, it seems that we're we're fighting against everyone's interests. Uh, no, you're you're exactly right. Uh, it harms Ukrainian interests because, uh, like I said, the longer this war goes on, the more Ukrainians will die, and the more of the Ukrainian country will be destroyed. There's only one way to stop that, and that's to stop the fighting. And it harms American interests because. Uh, Once again, we're spending all of this money on weapon systems. We're enriching the military-industrial complex. So not only are we taking money from people who need it, but we're also entrenching a power center that seems to drive American foreign policy to dangerous ends. And not only that, but we've also had the sanctions against Russian oil that have driven gas prices up, that have made heating prices uh, skyrocket across Europe. Uh, and we also have the increased risk of direct confrontation between NATO and Russian troops, which, again, that risks nuclear war. And that seems to be something that uh, American planners are brushing off and saying, ah, Putin would never do it. Well, it's not about intent. I'm certain that Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin do not want a nuclear war. But as the Cuban Missile Crisis shows us, as nuclear near misses for the last 70 years show us, it's about the potential for mistakes, uh, about unintended consequences, miscalculations, and dangerous escalations. Uh, Something could happen that could spark an escalation that neither Putin nor Biden uh, has a good grip on. And that's dangerous to everybody. So there's no reason for Americans and uh, everyone and NATO to be playing with fire. Uh, the safest path for the world, for America, for everyone, is to engage in a negotiated settlement. So what's changed between now and March, Dr. Gibbs? Because, indeed, that is what Zelensky was saying. He said, I want to talk to Putin face to face. We can work this out. What's happened between then and now? 
Um, in March, uh, one month after the Russian invasion, uh, there was direct uh, negotiations between Ukrainian and Russian um, delegations in Istanbul, and they worked out a tentative deal which involved the neutralization of Ukraine. They would not join NATO, which is what uh, Russia had all along demanded. Um, Russian um, uh, continued Russian sovereignty and recognition of Russian sovereignty in Crimea, which they'd taken in 2014 after the overthrow of a government in Ukraine. Um, and um, I believe it was in the Donetsk region, uh, in Donetsk and Lugansk oblasts in the eastern part of Ukraine, which are Russian-speaking, uh, they had to, the Ukrainians were going, we had to implement uh, full regional autonomy for those regions. Um, and this had been pretty much accepted by both sides. And, um, you know, we now know, and this was in the Ukrainian press, that Boris Johnson, then the Prime Minister of Great Britain, almost certainly at the behest of the United States, flew to Kiev and basically told Zelensky that uh, he must not sign any such agreement, that it, it, the, almost the exact words that were used was, you may be ready for peace, but we in the West are not ready for peace. Uh, and we're financing you to the hilt. And so you'd better not sign this agreement. And the agreement broke down. And, uh, you know, there's been no serious peace negotiations since then. It's just been continuous war. You know, the justification for this is that, uh, you know, the United States supposedly is just letting Ukraine call the shots. You know, you know we'll do whatever Ukraine wants. But, that, you know, and behind the scenes, that's not at all what's happening. It's the United States that's calling the shots. And to a lesser extent, countries like Britain. And we saw that very dramatically in March of 2022. Um, and so it's simply false that the United States is allowing Ukraine to dictate the course of this war. It's being dictated in Washington, London, and Brussels, uh, not in Kiev. Um, you know, if you, it is an long-standing uh, idea that, uh, you know, he who pays the piper calls the tune. And that, that's exactly what's going on here. I think we've had many setbacks for the possibility of peace, one of them is that the former Chancellor of Germany, Angela Merkel, um, was saying that, uh, you know, long-standing peace negotiations that she helped to broker um, the Minsk II agreements uh, in 2014-2015, uh, she strongly implied that this was being done in bad faith and that the purpose of it was to drag out negotiations uh, with the purpose of arming Ukraine and building up their military for war. Uh, and that she said, you know, the Russians in 2014, they could have marched right into eastern Ukraine and taken it over if they wanted to. But uh, uh, we, we, we prevented that from happening by drawing out these negotiations, again, with the implication that Germany was negotiating in bad faith. Um, and uh, nobody contradicted her or said that that's a, a bad thing to do. In fact, the former president of Ukraine, Poroshenko, was president at the time. It said something very similar. And all of this, of course, is, is being noticed not only by the Russians, but also by the Chinese, by the Iranians, by everybody, that uh, you can't really negotiate with the United States and its allies because they openly admit they don't negotiate in good faith. That's a huge setback for peace, not just with regard to Ukraine, but internationally. And I'm really very worried about the implications of that interview by Merkel. Um, let me add, I think if Merkel's overstating her own deviousness in this, um, I don't think she was quite yes. as devious as she now claims she was. But the very fact that she's stating this uh, is really very damaging. And I think that'll preclude any, any near-term peace negotiations in Ukraine. 
Well, I think it shines a light on the West. I mean, at the end of the day, Bryce Green and, and Dr. David Gibbs. I mean, it helps you to understand that, you know, this is where, this is why you have the global South pushing back against the West, particularly in this case, but just in all matters. And I'd just like to know from you, and I've got about a couple of minutes before we go to break, and of course we'll be bringing James Carden back on, oh, excuse me, about a minute and a half. What is the West's push back against Russia? What's the problem? How is it that we were allies in the Second World War? I mean, what is... What is our problem with Russia? Uh, what is it, Doctor Gibbs? What? what? I, I think it be, I think it's basically that after the Cold War ended, the United States didn't really have any obvious enemies, and there really was—I um, hate to say it—but an effort to look for a new enemy to justify America's global presence. There was a 1992 document called the Defense Planning Guidance Document which laid out a strategy of singularly establishing the United States as the globally dominant power as far into the future as possible. And the document, this was by Paul Wolfowitz, the deputy um, secretary of defense at the time, a major neoconservative. And I think that that's really the U.S. strategy is to uh, establish America as a singular global dominant power and to really destroy any potential challenges. Mm. Everybody, what do you think about this? I know it's complex, but it's not beyond your realm of understanding. This is your money. This is your money. These are our uh, people who are going over there to fight. We haven't had uh, Malcolm Nance on the show in quite some time. He's been over there. What, what do you make of this? And think about the Christmas truce of, of 1914 when German and British soldiers declared a truce for Christmas Day. And the truce lasted into, until January, until the military leaders became alarmed by the truce, and they ordered the troops to start shooting each other again. See, it wasn't the troops who were fighting, or who wanted to fight. They started sharing food, playing games with each other. No, it was the military-industrial complex who said, no, 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 you got to fight. For what? Call me at 773-763-9278. Let's talk about this on the Santita Jackson Show. This is the Santita Jackson Show. Everybody, welcome to the Santita Jackson Show, the second hour from WCPT 820, the nation's largest progressive talk radio station, and AM 950 Radio, the voice of Progressive Minnesota. I'm glad to be with you today on YouTube on the Santita Jackson Show YouTube channel and Santita Jackson and Friends, my Facebook page. That's the official page, everybody. Please get on over there and like me and become my friend. Call me at 773-763-9278 as we talk about Ukraine, as we talk about the economy. But let's talk about Ukraine. Let's talk about President Zelensky's address to Congress and the nation. Or was he talking to Republicans? I think he was talking to everybody. What did you make of his speech? What do you make of the $44 billion that's in the omnibus bill that would be going to Ukraine? That's more than $100 billion that we as American taxpayers have spent on this war. Are you happy about that? 
Do you even know why we're there? Call me at 773-763-9278, 773-763-WCPT. Got a tremendous panel joining Dr. David Gibbs and Bryce Green, the brilliant James Carden, as we really try to tease all of this out. But let me get to some of these headlines so that we can get to the rest of the show. In Chicago, we're going to have a high of 34 degrees. Winter storm warning. We're supposed to have a blizzard. It was going to start later on today, but it's supposed to start this morning, everybody. Please be careful out there. It's already started up in Minneapolis, St. Paul, including the bone-chilling weather. Five below zero will be their high today, and it will be partly cloudy. In the NFL, the Jaguars will be playing the Jets tonight. In the NHL, the Predators were triumphant over Chicago 4-2, and the Wild were triumphant over the Ducks 4-1. In the NBA, the Mavericks 104, the Timberwolves 99. What a nail-biter. What a joyous win. Bulls over the Hawks 110-108 to at the buzzer, everybody. And of course, thinking about Frank O'Hara's today, the Pittsburgh Steeler great who made his transition yesterday, just 72 years of age, on the anniversary of the Immaculate, immaculate Reception when he was just just a rookie, sending him into legend, and the rest of his career did not disappoint. Sending him and his family much, 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 much love today. Looking at this storm, but we're not alone in Chicago. This severe weather is threatening holiday travel on some of the busiest days of the year. There's a way, there are ways that you can avoid a fiasco. Of course, we talked to Dr. Shanina Knighton, the noted infection preventionist. If you must be in the airport for any length of time, even if it's days, please wear your mask. Please engage in hand hygiene. Get that hand sanitizer. The hand sanitizer can neutralize the germs. We're not just dealing with COVID. We're dealing with RSV. The common cold. Remember that? Flu. You have some women who are traveling who are pregnant. You have a lot of things going on. Please, please, please be careful out there as we deal with the winter weather. And those are just some of the headlines on the Santita Jackson Show today. Of course, the big headline is Ukrainian President Zelensky, who expressed gratitude to U.S. to the United States last night in an address before Congress to the Democrats, the Republicans, and to the American people. It was an impassioned address uh, delivered mostly in his native language, but he did speak in English every now and again, and he was wearing his war gear. What did you think about that? Do you, do you agree with this war? Do you agree with this war? What do you think about the $44 billion that have been tucked into the omnibus package? That's made, That takes us past the $110 billion mark that Americans alone have spent on this war. What do you think about that? What are the core facts? James Carden wrote about that uh, going into this speech that we need, with which we need to be familiar. Of course, the brilliant Dr. David Gibbs from the University of Arizona, history professor and uh, noted author and uh, noted writer, the brilliant Bryce Green from Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting, who has uh, given us so many pertinent facts about Ukraine, what we need to know about Ukraine. I urge you to go to the Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting site to read that brilliant, brilliant uh, study about what we might be missing about Ukraine. Welcome back to the show, James Carden, former advisor to the U.S. Russia Bilateral Presidential Commission at the U.S. Department of State. You bring those bona fides to this particular discussion. What are some of the core facts um, that we should keep in mind as we now reflect upon the Zelensky speech? Yeah, I think the number one core fact is that the Ukrainians 
cannot win this war, no matter how much uh, we send over there. Uh, Russia has uh, what military strategists call escalation dominance in the region. Uh, the Russians have amassed uh, about half a million troops that are ready to uh, roll uh, once the ground freezes in Ukraine, uh, and that we would be um, wise if there were any statesmen in Washington, which fortunately there aren't, uh, to push them towards a negotiated uh, settlement rather than to throw good money after bad uh, and continue to prolong this thing. Uh, all that this money does and all that these, um, I guess we're going to be sending uh, a Patriot battery over there. All that, all that this does uh, is prolong the suffering of the Ukrainian uh, people. Um, and unfortunately, in D.C., um, it's the suffering of the Ukrainian people uh, that are um, at the forefront of everyone's agenda and suffering of the American people um, very rarely um, gets addressed. And what I mean by that is that uh, millions of Americans are set to lose uh, their Medicare benefits uh, in April. Uh, so, uh, you know, we're spending billions and billions of dollars on Ukraine, and we have a uh, subpar healthcare system here. We have crumbling infrastructure. We have um, all sorts of problems. And uh, the elites in Washington, um, at least for the past 30 years, if not more, have always prioritized uh, foreign spending over uh, addressing the very real problems that we have. So I thank you for shining a light uh, on this. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, uh, there are not too many outlets, not too many uh, progressives who um, are brave enough to uh, speak out uh, against this war, uh, not only because I think that they have finally found a war, again, because it's against uh, Russia and because it's against Vladimir Putin that they can unreservedly love. Um, it's because uh, they're fearful of being um, tarred with uh, the label of uh, Putin apologist or mm -hmm. Kremlin dupe or, or whatever. Uh, so that's well, where know, we are, I mean, unfortunately. I, if you know anything about my background, I grew up <laughs> really... Um, it, with controversial people, and so I guess uh, maybe I'm a, I'm a little foolish, but I do believe in peace. I do believe that peace can be and should be and will ultimately be victorious over war because I'm a religious woman. I've looked at the end of the Bible, and at the end, uh, as we uh, reflect in this holy season for for Christians, Jews, and Muslims, and for everyone, whatever your religious affiliation. This is a this is a time when we're supposed to be talking about peace, when we're supposed to be talking about the world as it should be, James Carden and Dr. Gibbs, David Gibbs and Brian and, and Bryce Green. But we're not there. And I'm trying to figure out when you see that nearly half of Americans, all Americans, James Carden, who make a hundred thousand dollars a year or more, they're living paycheck to paycheck. Sixty three percent of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. 
who can afford this? And as I hear President Zelensky say this is not charity, and basically we have the same interest. What are our interests? What are the shared interests? I mean, because even Europeans are saying that, look, Americans, you all are profiteering off this war. <laughs> and is it is it because it's it's happening on their soil that that they that you even have some critics, but you can't? I mean, what is going on, James Carton? What is this? Well, the only people that are profiting from this war um, are the people who uh, are just across the river from me in Northern Virginia, uh, who staff Raytheon, Lockheed, um, the Patriot missile system, for instance, um, costs a billion dollars and it's produced by Raytheon. Um, so it's been a very, very good year uh, for the um, defense industry. Uh, it has not been a good year uh, for our uh, erstwhile uh, European allies. Uh, the Europeans understand that the Ukrainians uh, can't win uh, this war. Uh, the um, their economies have taken a very serious hit. Uh, the sanctions that we put on Russia and the Europeans um, have put on Russia have, have backfired. Uh, so, you know, this is, I am always surprised when I hear people, and you hear this often, that they praise uh, Mr. Biden's Ukraine policy as some sort of uh, unvarnished success. Uh, I think it's quite the opposite. I don't see how you can call this a successful policy when you have hundreds of thousands of people uh, who have died over the past year. Uh, you have um, a, a, you know, burgeoning uh, energy and economic crisis. Uh, I just don't, I don't, you know, we've done the exact wrong things from the very beginning. Uh, we've encouraged this. And that's kind of the dirty little secret about this war is that um, you know, since the Minsk Protocol in 2015, which was a peace process put in place uh, between with the Germans and French and the Russians and Ukrainians, uh, we never really pushed the Ukrainians to implement uh, the Minsk process. Um, and between 2015 and the launch of the Russian invasion in February, uh, there were many, many efforts um, by the uh, Europeans and the Russians um, to get to a point where uh, to start implementing the, the peace proposal. Uh, the Ukrainians never signed on uh, to any of these um, post-Minsk uh, roadmaps to peace. And I have the suspicion uh, that they didn't do it because we were telling them not to. So while the Russians are to be blamed for the invasion uh, in February, uh, we never really did anything in the uh, in the years between uh, 2015 and 2022 uh, to pursue a peaceful path. And so here we are. Well, I want you to speak to and I want you and Dr. Gibbs and and Bryce Green to speak to what a lot of people are saying in the United States. Fanya, for one of my morning stars, uh, said, I quote, I believe in peace. I do not like war. However, I do not like another country invading another. I find it troubling. Why would I need to negotiate with my neighbor who broke in and then took then took over my home? James Carden. Well, uh, because it's not that simple. Um, 
it is true that uh, the, Ru- the the Russians did start this round um, of fighting uh, in February, uh, and they should be uh, condemned for it. Um, however, um, it's it's not that simple. Uh, this is a battle um, or a conflict between uh, Russia and Ukraine that goes back uh, many decades. Um, essentially, what it is is a border dispute. This is a hangover from the end of the Cold War. Um, at the end of the Cold War, um, what happened when the Soviet Union collapsed is that some 20 million ethnic Russians became overnight citizens of what, citizens of what became foreign countries. And so what you had was uh, large pockets of Russians in the east and south of Ukraine. And in the ensuing three decades, uh, governments, successive governments in Kiev, uh, treated these um, ethnic Russians uh, as second-class citizens. Now, I'm simplifying here for the sake of uh, time, but that's basically uh, what happened. And so the governments in Kiev, what they really wanted was a state for Ukrainians, uh, not for Russians. Um, and that basically has, has the, this is the root of the problem. And the root of the problem uh, kind of exploded in 2014 when, uh, you know, a democratically elected president from the Russian areas in Ukraine was overthrown uh, by a violent coup. Uh, by uh, the people in the western part, the western uh, Ukrainian part of the country. So this is a conflict between brothers. It's an inter-Slavic conflict. It has nothing to do uh, with U.S. national security interests whatsoever. Um, And the idea that we're going to uh, use Ukraine to weaken Russia um, is a very dangerous uh, is a very dangerous one because it puts us nose to nose uh, with the Russians on the battlefield. Uh, it has the potential of dragging uh, NATO allies into into this war, and it could escalate at any time. But all these people in Washington seem, you know, blithely unaware or um, you know unwilling to to, to face these facts. Um, it, yes, it is true that you know. Uh, Putin's February uh, invasion uh, is illegal and should be condemned. However, that does not give the Ukrainians uh, the right to drag the rest of the the world uh, into a war. Uh, And we would, you know, do well by ourselves and by the Ukrainians just by recognizing uh, the roots of this conflict. Uh, And uh, if you if you go beyond February, uh, you know, the Ukrainians uh, and ourselves, uh, have, there's a lot to blame. There's a lot of blame uh, to go around. Mm. Uh, how do you, Bryce Green, when you look at the reporting of this, of this conflict, we don't get any of that. What do you, what do you make of this? I mean, where, where, where does the media, where does the media stand with this? Oh, where do you stand with the media on this? Like with most U.S. foreign policy issues and with 
most U.S. foreign policy engagements, the media is largely supportive of whatever the official U.S. policy is. Uh, the, the media have largely portrayed Ukraine as winning the war, portrayed Russia as, you know, a, a Hitler hell-bent on capturing the rest of Europe when he's done with Ukraine. In my reporting, I cited lots of, uh, lots of mainstream articles saying that exact same thing, that if we don't fight uh, Putin in Ukraine, then Russia will come for Poland next, or Lithuania next, or the rest of Europe next. Uh, and that's contributed a lot to the attitudes of the American public uh, when it comes to this conflict. The idea that Putin is Hitler, if we accept that, well, then that means that we don't even have to think about negotiations. We don't have to think seriously about this conflict. If we if we accept that Putin wants to take over the world, then there's really nothing that we could do. Uh, there's nothing that we shouldn't do against that. Uh, and that's a problem because it's not reality. There's no indication that Putin has goals beyond Ukraine. Uh, and there's no reason that the U.S. needs to uh, start pouring weapons into Western Europe. There's no reason that we need to strengthen NATO. Uh, all of this is in support of the U.S.-backed war right now. And so until the media starts you know, portraying things in a little bit more balanced light, until the media starts pushing back against the idea that we need to start pouring hundreds of billions of dollars into this conflict, well, then it's going to continue to ramp up. Like in every society, the media class represents, you know, the points of view of the policymakers, the decision-making class of people. Uh, and they're almost uniform in their support for the war. And like I said, that's pretty dangerous. Well, you know, just... Very quickly, before all of you go, and I just want to thank you so much for being with us. I think of this Christmas truce of 1914 that held for days and days and days until the military leaders said, no, you all have to start fighting again. They were alarmed, if you will, because these the people on the ground did not want to fight and they refused to. Um, let me start with you, Dr. Gibbs. It seems that we're still here. The people, the establishment want us to fight, and they're the ones who make the money. But down here on the ground, not so much an appetite for war. Well, that's been one of the major dilemmas U.S. policymakers have faced. I mean, I mentioned the rise of China. I've mentioned, uh, you know, defeats in places like Iraq and Afghanistan. Another one, I think, is the public um, has turned against the whole idea of American overseas dominance, military spending, and war. Uh, I should add, I see it in my students to some extent. I get a lot of military and ex-military guys in my classes. There's a big military presence here in southern Arizona. And veterans often uh, are really very embittered and uh, don't seem to be in the mood for further military engagement. And so I think the idea of this war was to regalvanize, regenerate popular enthusiasm for war. And it has some degree, but as this drags on, the public is going to get tired of it and is getting tired of it. And the polls are showing that the public is much more willing to consider a negotiated settlement than foreign policy elites are willing to consider a settlement. And so I do have some hope that the public will offer a constraint on what the United States government can do, even more so in Europe, I should add, as things start to turn negative. 
in places like Germany and France, you could start seeing mass street demonstrations. I'm hopeful that is what will eventually end this war. <laughs> James Carden, I have got uh, one minute left for you. What do you want us to know as we wrestle with this throughout this holy weekend? Right. So since um, I'm speaking to a, I would suppose, a largely Chicago-based um, audience, I would just... Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> I would urge people who are against this uh, escalation to call your representatives, to call your United States senators. Uh, one of the most uh, hawkish and, and hawkish and reckless voices on this has been Senator Dick Durbin. Uh, who has been uh, cheering for conflict with Russia uh, for about as long as I can remember. So I would just urge people who are um, who are appalled by the reckless uh, engagement by the United States in what is a conflict that has nothing to do with us, uh, and that is draining our own resources for our own people, uh, to call their offices uh, and to express uh, your disapproval for... Um, the unlimited um, amount of uh, money and weaponry that we've been funneling into this uh, very dangerous conflict. Amen to that, everybody. And you have the power. The government is up for and by you. You just got it, and it works when you work it. James Carden, Dr. David Gibbs, Bryce Green. May you have a Merry Christmas, and if it is not your holiday, may the spirit of Christmas be with you in this holy season. God bless you all. Thank you so much for being with us. Let's talk about this economy, everybody. 63% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, as we're about to give $44 billion more billion to Ukraine. Yeah, and nearly half of those who make $100,000 a year or more are living paycheck to paycheck. What does that mean? How are you making it? I want you to call me at 773-763-9278. Back with more of the Santita Jackson Show in just a minute. This is the Santita Jackson Show. everybody. Welcome back to the Santita Jackson Show. You know what time it is. It's Dr. Max Wolf time as we talk about the economy and just really all things. Um, I mean, this is how we live every day. I know many of us who went to college, econ was the bane of our existences. No one wanted to take the class, and yet we live in the midst of it every day. You know, your math teacher, your science teacher said, uh, this might bore you, but you, you're going to be dealing with this. You're going to be dealing with fractions for the rest of your life. You might as well learn them now. You're going to be dealing with adding and subtracting and multiplication, so you might as well figure it out now. Thus it is with the economy. Uh, the headline is 63% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, including nearly half of six-figure earners. But what's really behind that headline? And what else is going on in the workforce? I mean, Dr. Wolf has some very interesting information to bring to us today, you know, deaths in the workplace, disproportionately impacting people of color, black people in particular, you know, we've got to, I just, you take it away. Let's start with paycheck to paycheck. I was talking to someone yesterday, you know, you know, I was talking to Shapiro and she said, you do know ham hocks are a luxury now. 
Yeah, that's the meat that uh, that's famously used in Southern cuisine, really started by African-Americans uh, when we were enslaved, uh, to season greens and, and, and string beans and things like that. Uh, the food that people threw away, now they're, they are considered delicacies and they are hard to find. It's hard to find a lot of stuff, but in, when you do find them, chicken is so expensive. I mean, really. And if people who are making six-figure salaries are struggling, where are we, Max? Thanks for having me. I wanted to say happy holidays to everyone and also acknowledge that as Max Wolf, I may be the only true fan of the Max Wolf Hour. So I thank myself. And Not true. Stop all it. At once. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. There may be another. There are some sad people out there. And, you know, I wish them the best. In any case, look, I think the sort of paycheck to paycheck thing is maybe more interesting because I think we have this sort of atomistic tendency in the U.S., and I'll explain what that means, which is everyone kind of looks at themselves. And if they feel like they're doing well, they think, hey, it's just me and I'm better than other people. And if they're not doing that well, they think everyone else is doing well. <clears throat> and either I'm a loser and I, I don't deserve to succeed or I've been cheated. Right. And you can see those tropes. They're obviously people are more complicated than that. But those tropes kind of help define an American political landscape, too. Right. Either I should work harder or better myself or someone cheated me. And you can see those out there. And often this is done without much knowledge of how other people are actually doing. So it's really hopes and fears, and it's really your view of yourself that you're seeing reflected back because you don't know enough, right? And we're kind of uh, separated from each other, whether it's a bowling alone version of it or just people don't interact with each other enough for their basic human spirit. And if you can see that in the church attendance rates going down, or you can see it in the sort of people don't bowl anymore, or the civic leagues, or all kinds of things, right? And that was true and acutely so in 2020, in the beginning of 2020, and then it got a whole lot worse because we spent two years dissocializing ourselves and each other, hiding inside and sheltering in place, whatever you want to call it, for a really long time, fraying and straining our mental health and fraying and straining our already strained lack of meaningful social interaction. Right? And so you can see that. And so we don't really know how each other are doing. So things like this are a good reminder that if you're out there struggling, you're just like basically 90% of the population. So 80 to 90% of the population is kind of struggling right now. I don't mean in terms of your sense of self in the world, although that might be true. And I don't mean in terms of loneliness, although again, that might be true. But I mean in terms of how much money you make and how much the things you've historically purchased cost. Right, and again, this is not a finger-wag story of you should have a smaller television or something, which is not terribly relevant. This is just about what it costs to live versus what you make at work, right? And that's going to hit really hard for a lot of people who mostly think it's them and or imagine that if they, say, had their manager's job, they wouldn't have this problem. And the truth is, of course, you'd be better off if you made more, and that's a reasonable enough calculation. More is better here. But a lot of people who might make more than a lot of people are also in a lot of trouble, right? And so a lot of people are really struggling. And the thing people didn't understand that we did talk about a lot on this show is that inflation wasn't really the problem because we hadn't had much inflation in a really long time. The problem was we didn't see inflation in wages for 40 years. And so any uptick in what we pay for things wipes us out because there's no reserves, right? It's like what happens if you are exposed to somebody with a cold if you haven't slept in four days, mm. right? You're going to get that cold. And yes, you were exposed to someone with a cold, but so are 33 other people who didn't get sick because they slept, 
right? Or, or whatever, right? So it's a susceptibility issue. And we're just a very financially fragile. And partly that's because a lot of stuff here is done with debt. And when there's an inflation problem, and you decide to fight that inflation problem, as we have, by ratcheting up interest rates, you're going to create a recession and you're going to put pressure on employment. And that's going to be people suffering from the disease and then suffering from the cure. So that's the sort of tough situation I think we find ourselves in. And if folks don't have much savings and they're spread thin by the cost of things, then if we do have a recession, a little bit like that person in our story who hasn't slept in a few days, you're a lot more likely to catch the cold to come your way. So that's the fear that, that a lot of us who are more professional economist types, I guess, have right now, because you can see that vulnerability and it extends up higher into the sort of income ladder. <clears throat> so a lot of folks, you know, doing pretty well by most standards, households making over $100,000, $150,000 a year, which probably sounds like a lot to a lot of people, they're, they're really struggling. And part of the reason they're struggling too, which these, these uh, research reports are really bad at, a lot of your audience will understand, is aggregate costs of living that compare rural Missouri and Mississippi and Alabama and Idaho Harry pursue as though they're identical to cost of living in a place like Chicago or Los Angeles or New York do a disservice to the difference in living costs, right? Because life in these places, I mean, people deserve a life with dignity and, and to, to spend what they need to spend in all the locations, but what it costs to have a middle-class life in a sort of rural area or in Idaho, probably pretty different than New York or LA or Chicago or San Francisco or Boston. What this kind of it was it was predicted some years ago by um, the head of our um, intelligence services. A that this kind of economic want was was on its way. This was in the early two thousands, and that this would promote social instability and unrest. And it seems like this is where we are. We have not had yeah. a moment's rest in this new millennium. Um, and we do. I do believe that. Part of what fueled January 6th and these other incursions that are happening, happening around the country that really don't gain a lot of traction in national corporate media. Um, it's the economic insecurity and, quite frankly, the economic want. People going to the grocery stores, Max, and they cannot afford to buy the groceries. One in four Americans could not afford to put on a Thanksgiving meal last just a few weeks ago. This you is can see the food are. pantry activity is high even in historically pre-affluent areas, right? So mm-hmm. presumably pre-affluent area, not much historical use of the food pantry or a lot of historical use of the food pantry by people from neighboring areas where they are poorer, have a lot of sort of local tension use, you know. So that, that's clearly an issue here. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think we've probably already reached the age where the inequalities we have first destabilize our politics. And we already have that, right? You can run for president and possibly win as the pet of a few senile billionaires, right? And you can overtly kind of auction off your seat. And that is disturbing. And we don't really even exactly hide the auctions. When it's exposed, somebody comes up with some, you know, crocodile tears of moral indignation the last 38 minutes, we're on to the next thing. So we're already auctioning off a lot of our political seats, which is unfortunate. Um, so, may the highest bidder win was not the historical model of American democracy, 
that has some issues related to it, I think, that are non-trivial. But yeah, I think you do see some social unrest, and you see what has been America has been uniquely fortunate to be without, which is organized, politically motivated extremist groups. Right? Whether we sometimes have trouble labeling some of them, we're too fast to label some groups like this and too slow to label others, right? And that has you know left, right, and racial dynamics to it, but. We certainly have reached an age, and that's part of the fabric of American politics, because we have those people now in Congress, too. We have some pretty extreme voices in the Congress, right? And so it's gotten pretty high up, and depending on how you see things, I think you could make a pretty good argument that we have some pretty extreme voices in the Supreme Court as well. So those are the sort of most sacrosanct top of the tower here, and it's, it's been pierced. So, yeah, you can certainly see that. And I guess I wonder, too, how much of reacting to your poverty has become the story of American politics. Like, the system doesn't work for me, progressive critique, or I've been cheated by someone, probably who doesn't look like me or was born somewhere else or has a different uh, idea of who they should be in love with. And while that's a very crude breakdown, you can put a lot of our political arguments into that, Right. Absolutely. I mean, and this is and and I'm looking at the pain. I'm looking at how this is how this is playing out, Max Wolf, just in our discourse on our streets, in the grocery stores, in our homes, when you're looking at what's not on the table. And I want and as the as the feds are talking about bringing up the interest rates, knowing they said, look, it's going to cause more unemployment. I'm like, are you serious? I mean, because Washington is one of the most is one of the most affluent areas in the nation. It's the, it's the seat of the military industrial complex. I mean, and our last guest, James Carden, has made the point that most of the money, the military monies that are going to Ukraine, are staying right in Washington in what they call the DMV, D.C., Maryland, Virginia, staying with the military companies. People are really struggling out here, Max. What is the path forward? We can't even afford Thanksgiving. (laughs) That's crazy. Yeah, well, Christmas is usually harder for families in the pocketbook, by the way, than Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is just a meal. So even though that can be an issue, if you have kids around, particularly, uh, you know, and even not, some gift giving is required as well as a meal. So normally the ticket price around Christmas is higher for a lot of households or or whatever they celebrate, you know, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever it is, it's going to be a more expensive uh, fare for, for most households than, than Thanksgiving, right? Uh, there has been a little bit of relief in prices, and I do think it's fair to say that he made this national political temper tantrum out of the Republican Party about gas prices and then somehow didn't notice when they went back down. So there have been some relief in prices. My point here with Illinois people is it's not related prices. It's the relationship between the prices and what you earn, Right. So the, the problem there being it's much easier to talk about the prices because then we don't have to talk about the problem of what you earn. And the problem with what you earn is that Americans earn less adjusted for inflation than they did 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, and 40 years ago. And there's nothing we can do with the price of gasoline or carrots going to make you whole there. Sorry. And that's the bigger conversation. The other conversation is where there are jobs, and people do find jobs, Right. There are, there's a the capital labor agreement about how people worked and for what benefits have broken down, and we're in a standoff about renegotiating them. So people who want a little bit of self-direction at work have become gig workers. Some of them do okay for cash, but they have 
no jobs to charity and largely absolutely no benefits, including health care, which we still haven't figured out like the rest of the developed world, and retirement, which is also something that's largely left to individuals to chart. And with a rapidly aging labor force, which we have, more people reaching that age, it's actually that's another sleeper issue that's probably going to be a big deal, right? And so I think another thing that's happened is as our problems have aged without much response to them, whether those are our immigration policies that still don't make a ton of sense by anyone politically left, right, or center, it's version of what makes sense. And I understand those are different or our retirement planning or our healthcare system or our infrastructure or our social safety net. Those are kind of the basic things you try to figure out uh, in a society. We haven't really done a modern version of those. We tried in the 60s and 70s. We got made some progress, and then we got it pushed back in the 80s, 90s, and aughts. And now we're not quite sure. And one of us, so half of us want to go one way, and half of us want to go the other. And that's the story of the moment. And while you're not fixing stuff, it gets worse. Just like the leaky faucet and the whiny brakes. While you're pretending it's something you can do tomorrow, your rotors don't get less warped, and your brake pads don't get newer and fluffier, and you know, the toilet doesn't start running better. I mean, maybe once in a while, but there's a reason they call that a miracle when it happens. Mm -hmm. This is, I mean, well, things break along what do you, what what can you forecast for 2023? I mean, do you see, do you see us getting out of this? I mean, are we are in, this is an inflationary period. No, no question about it. And there's a debate about whether there's a recession or not. I tell you what, on the ground, that's what people are feeling. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, look, so people's lived experiences also not always captured quickly or accurately as national data, right? So we should start with that. Um, we have a saying in the business, those of us who do this stuff, beware of geeks bearing models, right? They're worse than Greeks bearing yes, which is a reference to the Trojan horse, right? So the certainty that you sometimes get from abstract reproductions of a complicated reality, otherwise known as a model, right? Um, you know, they, they can be lag. So in other words, we cannot see something until it's been happening for quite some time. And they can also just be wrong or not capture the reality of people. And one thing I always mention is that when a society becomes as economically unequal as ours, statistics that average the rich and the poor are problematic because they don't live in the same world, right? Mm-hmm. And they don't live the same realities. And so an aggregate of them doesn't make much sense. If you permit me a professorial moment, uh, this is the way I teach aggregates in class, right? So the average American household has about 1.4 kids. But if you get caught with 0.4 kids, you go to jail and you damn well should. <laughs> so sometimes the statistics don't tell a real life story all that well, right? I apologize if I offended those of you with a little bit less than half a kid in your possession, but, you know, something's <laughs> definitely gone wrong at all. But the point is, Sometimes the statistics don't capture the lived reality perfectly because something in the nature of statistics or the complexities that you're trying to reduce to a simplicity, right? That's always an issue. I do think we have a recession in 2023, probably not right away in the year, but maybe toward the middle point of the year, Uh, you know, coming into the summer. I think that's politically dangerous. And I also think we're going to see a huge struggle here about which path to take because whenever there's a recession, whatever anyone tells you, Everyone decides they want the government to bail them out for one reason or another, whether they admit that or not. And so the fight becomes who gets help. And we actually just stumbled out on a version of that fight under COVID, right? And now we're going to have a kind of divide in Congress, the slim Republican majority in the House, 
and a nearly completely tied Senate, right? And uh, Biden administration probably beginning in the not distant future to think about the next presidential cycle. So it's going to be a politically loaded moment. And I, I think we've done a pretty bad job at facing the big issues. By the way, still including COVID, whose rates are spiking all over the country, but we've decided politically not to acknowledge that anymore and just not to have any tax mandates. And there's a lot of proposals coming from the new Congress to cut the testing and treatment benefits available to communities just as this winter comes. And there's an uptick, not, not like we've seen in the past, fortunately, but an uptick, right? And so I think we're going to see a recession here and we could see a bad one. I hope not. But here's the bad recession possibility that we talk about a lot in, among professional economists right now, which is that the Federal Reserve in the United States really aggressively overshoots on the interest rates, jacks them up too high, that the housing market kind of falls in on itself and shouldn't happen. But there are some worrying signs there. Again, shouldn't happen, but worrying signs. And then the big thing is the engine of global economic growth for a long time and right now is not the U.S., it's China. And the sudden, seemingly poorly thought out, hopefully I'm wrong there, but sudden, seemingly poorly timed, that could be historical luck, end of the Chinese COVID restrictions coming in winter, there is some possibility that it will create a really serious surge in sickness and, and even hospitalization and, and death in China. There are some evidence that there may be a pickup already. And if that happens and that hits the supply chains again, then we're going to have a shrinking economy, rising interest rates, and we might have spikes in some things we need, cost-wise, and supply chain issues on a major level, right? And, that, and globally, labor activism is picking up. In the U.S., in the U.K., in China, that's how those COVID restrictions ended, right? And part of what we're starting to see is political instability all over the world with unpopular governments or unpopular policies as people stumble out of the COVID lockdowns. I think you saw that in Peru. I think you've seen that in Iran in a bunch of different ways. I think you see that a little bit in some of the resistance to some policies in the U.S. and Western Europe. I think this is a big story. I think you saw that in some of the fighting uh, against labor rules and COVID lockdowns, zero COVID policies in China, which suddenly gave way to a looser policy. But I think you're starting to see the stress cracks under COVID become social crap, social fissures. And, you know, the only way to think about all this is all these pieces are moving now. And when all the chessboard pieces start moving, it's always exciting, but it's always fraught. Let me ask you this before you go, because you're talking about... <clears throat> Excuse me, all of, I mean, the labor movements that are that are beginning to that have been reawakened and that are uh, that are amassing all over the world. And yet we're watching the UK, particularly a lot of action. Oh, absolutely. The nurses. Yeah. Never seen that before. Nurses, railroad workers, baggage handlers. I mean, a lot of. I mean, because I mean, we're not done with this railway. Uh, struggle in, in the, the United US States, either. by yeah, the way. Yeah. No, we're not. But what about the deaths on the job? You you were telling yeah. me about that during the break. So I don't know the global numbers, but in the U.S., the Bureau of Labor Statistics keeps records, and there's a pretty disturbing trend uh, last year. So we saw almost a 10% spike, and we saw well over 6,000 people lose their lives directly because of something they didn't work. And those numbers had been going down, and now they're going up. A little bit like the life expectancy numbers in the U.S. 
had been had been going up, which is what we want, you know, more years of life. One of the most widely respected global measures of how your population is doing is life expectancy. And our life expectancy in the United States are going down, right? For a while, that was led by uh, people, black and Hispanic people, dying in much larger numbers around COVID. But an interesting thing has happened, which is that minority households have been much better at masking and getting vaxxed since 2021 than lower income white communities. So actually, it's the white community that's doing worse now for life expectancy. Also, job-related injuries and deaths. And by the way, they don't really much count COVID. So if you count well, the a- the people... But, you know, but there's also got to be more to it than that, because we found that the vaccine does not prevent spread. Um, there is there is an attention to hand hygiene and to and to the the baseline, the because one of the things. No, no, I mean, all of that, all of that matters. I'm just saying that there, we also found we have Dr. Uh, Shanina Knight, who comes on with us every day, infection preventionist, one of the few in the world. Um, she said, we're not going to vaccinate our way out of this crisis. We don't have proper hand hygiene. We don't have our baseline health is not strong. You know, most of I mean, and particularly people of color, because we're people of the sun. When we come into cold environments, vitamin D, we we become we over index in vitamin D deficiencies, for example. There is there is an inattention, Dr. Wolf, to making us healthful people. Absolutely. I mean, we and we have just walking out of COVID, we're still not doing that. I've no, got one and minute for you. Like, yeah, so there's COVID infections and there's COVID deaths. We're much yeah. more good at measuring the infection, which has a lot to do with what you're talking about. The sort of infection spread prevention, right? But on the if someone dies of COVID, well, I don't know about anymore, but for a while we were probably pretty good at tracking that, right? That's mm-hmm. some idea. If you die, much more likely to keep a good record than if you just get sick, because that can also be very mild or very severe, right? So if you're not hospitalized, you don't pass away. The statistical record keeping is pretty poor, right? But what we have, what we do know, is that the vaccines are pretty valuable in keeping people from dying of, of the of the disease. But we also know two things: the American general public is not healthy. It was not healthy before COVID, by the way, and it's less healthy now. Because people are still getting the vaccines and they're still getting they're still getting COVID. So, you know, while that lessens, that does mitigate hospitalization, that's been proved. It's also been proved that some other things can happen. But what we're seeing is people don't we have food deserts. We have we have farmers in the United States who cannot get fresh vegetables to poor people who need them. They said, you know, we're just letting food die here. Yeah. And we have a gun epidemic. Right. So, mm-hmm. again, obviously, this was controversial. I'm not trying to take a particularly position there. I'll let you put off the air. Here. No, my, my, it's fine. My, <laughs> but, I mean, I don't know how many times you have to discover the same accident that you distribute a whole lot of guns to a whole lot of angry, depressed people who are drunk and things don't always go well. It's somehow shocking. Mm-hmm. Seems like a good idea. 